Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 415. Even though I generally represent employees, I try to educate employers on how to keep me out of your lives. And that's really the, that's really the approach I take. And I do a lot of training and they introduce me as, you know, this is the guy you never want to see. So I'm happy to share some of those secrets with you guys here today. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Who loves doing paperwork? No one. Sorcery is an efficient online AP automated solution for the food service industry and restaurants, large and small, are using Sorcery to provide a scalable solution to help them create efficiencies and ultimately grow their business while impacting their bottom line. To learn more, head to GetSorcery.com. That's G-E-T-S-O-U-R-C-E-R-Y.com. And be sure to mention Restaurant Unstoppable to get your first month free. There is no time to waste in the restaurant business, especially when an opportunity comes up and you need extra capital. Cabbage created a simple, flexible way to get a line of credit of up to $150,000, apply online, and get a decision right away. Withdraw funds when you need them without reapplying. Cabbage has helped over 100,000 small businesses. Get started at cabbage.com slash unstoppable, and you'll get a $100 gift card when you qualify. That's cabbage with a K. Line of credit is subject to credit approval. See terms and conditions. Uh, with excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Richard Seller. My man, Richard, are you feeling unstoppable today? Good morning. Absolutely. How are you guys? <laughs> awesome. We're doing great over here. And uh, Richard Seller is a managing partner at Richard Seller Legal PA, a.k.a. the Florida Overtime Lawyer. Mr. Seller practices focuses or sorry, Mr. Sellers practice focuses on all areas of the employment context from discrimination, harassment, Title seven, the Family and Medical Leave Act and other employee or employment related statuses. Uh, additionally, Mr. Sellers re- represents individuals in whistleblower and wage and hour litigation. Today, we're here to discuss common wage violations in the food industry. And I'm really excited for this. I mean, this is an area I'm not really well versed in. So I'm here to learn. I'm sure my listeners are going to pick up a lot of new things too. But before we dive into that context, uh, let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quarter mantra. What do you have for us? Yeah, so interesting, Eric. I'm I'm a, what you would call a gratitude guy. I you know I try to be thankful for what's going on because, as we always know, things can always be worse for everybody else. So, one thing I, I try to tell myself and tell my wife and my kids all the time is, you know, the secret to having it all is knowing that you already do, and that's the way I practice law. That's the way I live my life, and uh, I, I just think it's the right way to live and then the best way to try to do it in this weird world that we live in. I love it, man. It's that abundance mentality and it's that idea that we're born with everything we need to be successful in this industry. It's just a matter of knowing it and showing up every day, dude. I love it. So, uh, all right, let's get started. Um, you gave me a few little topics here to kind of get the ball ball rolling. And the first uh, bullet you gave me is just the tip credits. So uh, actually, why don't you start with just like an overview of what you hope to get out of today's conversation? Then we'll dive into the bullet points. Yeah, I'll tell you, you know, there's, a, there's an old story that I tell my partners my, and my associates and, and everybody that works for me. 
you show me a restaurant and I'll show you a lawsuit. And, and the, the reason why is restaurants are such Petri dishes for so many things to go wrong. Forget about just getting the food out and having it taste right. But if you think about, you know, there's so many moving parts with different types of staffs different egos, different races, ethnicities, genders, you know, sexual preferences, different ways people are paid. I can guarantee you let me walk into nine out of 10 restaurants and let me take a look at what's going on behind the curtain. There's going to be a violation. And oftentimes they start with the wage violations and they trickle their way down to sexual harassment, illegal food practices, things like that. And I can share some stories with you during the day to day. And uh, I'm happy to take the lead or you tell me where you want to go. Yeah, uh, we'll see where we end up. But I also want to and I, I probably should have done this earlier. Uh, that should have led with this. Tell us a little bit more about you and what makes you an authority on this. I kind of gave the listeners a brief overview, but really dive into what makes you an authority on this, these subjects. Sure. So, you know, I've been practicing employment law since 1999. And I, I started off on what we call the defense side, representing companies, um, you know, large companies, restaurants, Walmart, all these sorts of entities. Um, and what I realized over the years was that, you know, I was more built to help the employees rather than the, than the employers. But that being said, I still represent a number of restaurants on South Beach, which as I'm sure you can imagine, uh, keeps me fairly busy. And we've been able to develop a mentality that even though I generally represent employees, I try to educate employers on how to keep me out of your lives. And that's really, the, that's really the approach I take. And I do a lot of training and they introduce me as, you know, this is the guy you never want to see. So I'm happy to share some of those secrets with you guys here today. Awesome. Uh, yeah, I think there's going to be a ton of potential for us to help you spread the word, the good word of keeping you out of our lives and all that. But today we're going to start with, uh, like we said, the uh, the world of wage violations in the food industry. And you gave me a few bullet points. Some of the things we're going to cover uh, tip credits, invalid tip pools and off the clock and uh, pre and post shift work. So starting with uh, tip credits, what, what do you mean by that? Sure. So there's what's an employer is permitted a tip credit, which means uh, I want to back up and start with the basic premise. Every employee in the United States is entitled to be paid a minimum wage. Okay. And you know, the current federal minimum wage is $7 and 25 cents. Other States have higher minimum wages. Okay. But for purposes of our discussion, I'm going to keep it general based on the federal minimum wage, which is seven twenty-five. Now, Restaurants employ a ton of tipped employees, and what the law has allowed them to do is pay what's called uh, paying what's called a tip credit. Okay, and the way it works is, if an employee is regularly tipped, if they make at least thirty dollars a month in tips, the employer, so long as he advises the employees that he's going to use a tip credit, can pay them the following way. Okay, he can pay them two dollars and thirteen cents an hour for their actual hours worked up to forty. So long as that they're doing a reconciliation at the end of the week to ensure that the tips the employee is receiving at a minimum reach that $7 and 25 cents an hour. Does that make sense so far? Yes. Most restaurants do this. Okay. So if you take a look at a server's pay stub, it'll show $2 and 13 cents an hour times hours. And then you'll see a declaration of tips. Okay. 
Where employers run into problems on this is one, they're not keeping track of the tips. So they're not actually making sure that in a slow week, for example, where they're paying two thirteen an hour, the employee's actually making enough tips to at least be minimum wage. And when that happens, that's a violation and they get sued. Okay. And the law is nasty on this. Okay. The law says if you violate the tip credit, you're responsible for now paying the full seven twenty five per hour for every hour that you were not in compliance with times two, meaning you wow. now get penalized double. And then you're paying my attorney's fees and costs and putting my kids through private school. Wow. <laughs> Wait, let me just summarize. I want to make sure I do understand. So say sure. uh, if uh, our employees are working 40 hours and they just fall short of that seven twenty-five an hour, say by like $10, uh, they don't hit that mark, that ben- that benchmark. That means that you have to pay them on top of that, uh, for 40 hours, the equivalent to 725 times two, even if they're like $10 short of what that original s- standard would have been. Exactly right. And that's why employment lawyers seize on restaurants because you can have a violation that's worth, you know, $4 that turns into a million dollar class action lawsuit. Okay, cool. So we're still just setting it up to dive into the three bullets that you shared with me before, right? Sure. So what happens oftentimes is, look, you can only be paid a tip credit if you're doing tipped work. And where employers step into it is when they have tipped employees and are paying them this $2.13 an hour rate, but they're having them do things like deliveries or cooking, which are not tipped duties. Okay. And this happens frequently in the restaurant industry. And what happens is same punishment the department of labor comes in or I come in and I say, look, you're paying this guy $2 and 13 cents an hour, but he's cooking and cleaning and doing non-service type work. The penalty is now going to kick in again. And this happens frequently. You think of all the side work and things that happen in restaurants. Okay. So if you're having your, your, your tipped employees do non-tipped duties more than 20% of the time, um, as they say on South park, you're going to have a bad time. <laughs> so they can so, still do non-tip duties as long as it's not more than 20% of the time. Exactly right. Okay. Um, so how do we, how do we monitor that? How do we track that? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. And again, you know, there's so much gray in this area of the law that it's almost like the situation of, or, or the, the point where I would tell my clients and, and employers don't get yourself in that situation. So what I always recommend to my clients on the defense side is if you're going to have somebody do non, non-tipped work, have them punch out under a tipped rate and have them punch back in under a, a non-tipped rate. Is that making sense? Yeah. So, uh, you know, ha- have them tipped in at, or punched in at 213. If they're serving, if it gets slow, then have a separate uh, punch in for the 725 and have them do that side work. Exactly right. And look, the worst thing an employer can do is not keep accurate records. Because what the law says is that if the employer fails to keep accurate time records or duty records, the employee, if they sue, is entitled to a presumption that the hours and duties they claim they worked are true and correct. So you're screwed if you don't keep those records. Okay. Got you. Um, what else do we need to know before we start diving into some of these bullets? This is great, by the way. I'm, I'm, I'm already learning stuff. Sure. So, so this is really hitting that, that first bullet, which is the, the, the tip credit. Okay. So, so that's really where one of the violations that's very common in the industry occurs. 
the next point of that is I believe we were talking about tip pooling. Okay. And tip pooling is where the substantial amount of class action work in restaurants comes into play. And let me explain what happened. Okay. The employer says rather than each employee keeping their tips, we're going to take all the tips of all the employees at the end of the evening and pool them. And people, depending on their jobs, will share a percentage in, in the tips. For example, servers might get 10% of the total tips divided amongst each other. The, uh, the bussers may get 2%, etc. Okay? So what happens in these situations is, is that the law says only tipped employees or front-of-the-house employees can share in the tip pool, which means if you've got people that are participating in the tip pool that are not normally involved with guest interaction, such as polishers or you know napkin rollers and things of that nature, it invalidates the entire tip pool, and the employer is in violation and has to pay the entire wage that should have been paid rather than just the percentage from the tip pool. Does that make sense? Say it one more time. I want to make sure it makes sense. Sure. So the benefit of, of a tip pool is that it allows the employer to ensure the employees are being paid, um, first of all, not only the minimum wage, but it's an easier system of keeping. Okay. So what happens is all the tips come in at the end of the night and they go into a pool. And each category of employees, servers, for example, might get 10% of the entire tip pool divided amongst themselves for the night. Okay. Then, then you may have, you know, bussers get 2%, you know, food expediters get 1%. So everybody's getting these additional monies in their paycheck um, through this tip pool. And the benefit of it is that it allows employers to reduce their costs, but also pro- make sure that they're properly paying employees so that the employees are getting their tips and making sure minimum wage and overtime is properly paid. What happens oftentimes is that restaurants get greedy and they start taking tips away from the employees and allowing people like managers or polishers to start sharing in the tip pool. And what the law says on that is that it invalidates the tip pool, meaning if people are sharing in the tip pool that shouldn't, what happens is the employer is now subject to those damages we talked about earlier where they may have to be uh, responsible for paying a full minimum wage and overtime damages for not properly complying with the tip pool. Okay. And is it still the times two with that circumstance? Yes. So under the Fair Labor Standards Act, which is the governing law, if an employer cannot provide a good faith basis for its actions, meaning that they didn't consult with a lawyer or an accountant or the Department of Labor, the damages, at least here down in the 11th Circuit, are normally double the amount. Oh, wow. So, and it's almost a guarantee down here. So basically, all the tips have to be front of the house staff, and that's like bussers, uh, servers, uh, barbacks, uh, basically anybody who's not in the kitchen or management. You also mentioned polishers. What's a polisher? Somebody who's polishing the silverware, somebody who's taking care of the plates. You know, in fancy restaurants, you have positions like polishers or food expediters. Okay, okay, okay. So, it's just, you know, these are different types of categories that we've seen in the fancy restaurants over the years. Um, where the violations occur and they've got, you know, managers that are sharing in the tip pool that managers shouldn't be sharing in that. And they're essentially depriving the tipped employee of their wages. 
So even like a, somebody like a dishwasher uh, who is, what if a dishwasher is clearing tables? Yeah, it becomes really iffy. And that's that gray area that I talked about. But generally, if the person is not interacting with tables as part of a recurring duty, you know, if you've got a dishwasher that's primarily in the back, a primary duty of washing dishes in the kitchen, they shouldn't be in the tip pool. And there's arguments all the time in these types of cases, whether, for example, a hostess can be included in the tip pool. Some cases say yes. Some cases say no. And, you know, look, at the end of the day, if, if you're in this discussion, meaning if you're a restaurateur and, you, you know, you're having to argue whether the hostess should or should not have been included, the, the likely position you're in is you're, you're likely in a lawsuit and you're spending thousands of dollars at that point. Cool. So that's not cool. You know, just as a, <laughs> right. But, but this is a practice tip. You know, don't be penny wise and pound foolish. If you're a restaurateur, go out and get legal advice in advance. Make sure that everything you're doing is kosher. It's not great once you make the mistake to then go and ask a lawyer to, to try to clean it up because by then it's normally too late. Yeah. Uh, before we move on to the whole uh, pre and post shift work and off the clock work, I want to ask a few more questions because uh, I'm curious about some of these hybrid systems that we're seeing where uh, basically there's the front of the house and the back of the house are like on a rotation, right? Um, yep. So I'm I'm assuming the answer to that situation where you have people who also who work front and back of house on different days, you'd have to seg- like, like segment the tips to each in the cash out each day uh, for those people who work the front of house positions in that day. Is that how you would do it? That's how I would recommend my clients to do it. And look, I mean, it becomes a um, a paperwork nightmare. And yeah. I recognize and understand that. But again, you know, the, the inconvenience of doing it the right way versus, you know, working your ass off to excuse my language, but working your butt off to, to build this restaurant in your dream and then having it go by the wayside because you didn't comply with how to pay people properly. You know, again, it, what's the old expression? An ounce of prevention. I always forget the end of it, but <laughs> <laughs> no, I've heard that one. Uh, so somebody did write me Adam Mills. This is for you, man. Uh, he asked me to actually dedicate an episode around how we can le- like level the playing field for front of house and back of house with like pay equality. Uh, cause you have the, the front of the, the, it's notorious. The back of house doesn't get as much money and they, they're the ones with the, the culinary degrees, right? The one, the ones that have to pay off their school loan debts. Uh, yep. so what advice do you have for, I guess, late leveling that playing field? Uh, for of income between front of house and back of house? Yeah, I'd like to tell you this is uh, the first time I've been asked a question and it's not. And I've come <laughs> up with ideas over the years uh, that it, you know, it's very easy for me to spend Adam's money for him. Um, but here's the advice or the idea that I've come up with over the years and it's the following. Incentivize your employees in the back. Create some sort of bonus structure. Create some sort of you know attendance bonus where if you show up for all your shifts for a month and you don't call out, you get a, a $200 bonus or, you know, there, there's ways to incentivize employees and to make sure that their pay is commensurate with, you know, recognizing they're not getting tips. Um, and, and there's all sorts of incentives you can do for the employees. This is not an employment question. This is a business question. So, you know, again, is it worth it to ensure that all of your guys are showing up when they're scheduled for an extra thousand dollars a month split among five guys? To me, the answer is yes. But again, I, I don't want to spend Adam or anybody else's money. Mm. So I guess, oh man, I don't know if I want to go deeper into this or not. I think I might, uh, 
Uh, we'll, 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 we'll pass. <laughs> we'll, we'll keep going. I'll clean this up later if we have to. But, um, I told you this stuff's a little bit dry, you know, so it's, it's kind of, it's important stuff though. You know, it's important stuff. I just don't want to get too far off the beaten track and I'm not even sure how to ask the question, but, uh, let's, let's move on to, uh, the whole off clock working. But before we do actually, uh, let's take a quick break to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back. Nobody likes doing paperwork. If you have a growing group of restaurants and find yourself wishing you could snap your fingers and have all of your invoices and AP instantly disappear from your plate, then you need to call Sorcery. Sorcery is used to make owning and operating a restaurant a breeze. Instead of dreading invoices, you'll be delighted to be synced with every vendor. With their new relationships, you can work on negotiating the best price to improve your margins and Sorcery's biggest super power is that they watch the prices you pay across the kitchen from dry goods to proteins to produce and when citrus skyrockets you'll know to update your recipes before you end up kicking yourself at the end of the quarter to learn more head over to www.getsorcery.com or find the banner in the show notes if you mention restaurant unstoppable at checkout you'll get your first month free yep to be unstoppable most restaurant owners require extra capital from time to time when you need funding to renovate buy equipment or manage cash flow you don't have time to track down financial statements or wait weeks for a decision that's where cabbage can help Cabbage gives small businesses access to a line of credit of up to $150,000. Apply online and you'll get a decision right away. Since Cabbage is a line of credit, you can take the exact amount you need. You never have to reapply to take out additional loans and you only pay for the funds you use. Cabbage has helped more than 100,000 businesses from every industry with over $3 billion in funding. Cabbage is A-plus rated by the Better Business Bureau and was named a Forbes Top 100 company twice in a row. Check out Cabbage with a K dot com slash unstoppable and you'll get a $100 gift card when you qualify. That's K-A-B-B-A-G-E dot com slash unstoppable line of credit is subject to credit approval. See terms and conditions. All right, we're back and we're going to wrap up the last topic, uh, which is around the off clock and pre and post uh, shift work. So take it from there. Sure. So, you know, a, a common violation in the restaurant industry is what we call an overtime violation. Okay. And I'm going to give the federal general rule because, for example, California and other states have state specific rules. It would take me, you know, nine hours to go through every state. But look, the federal rule is this. If an employee who's not exempt, meaning like a manager or, or a, a, a degreed chef is working more than 40 hours a week, they need to be paid time and a half their overtime rate. Okay. So just as a perfect example, if you've got a server or a, an hourly paid assistant manager making 10 bucks an hour and uh, they work more than 40 hours in a week, let's say they work an hour of overtime, they've got to be paid $15 an hour for that extra one hour, $10 times 1.5. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. What happens a lot in the restaurant industry is that we have pre and post shift violations where time is not being counted as hours worked. And that time, had it been counted, should have been paid at time and a half or an overtime rate. So here's what happens. 
employees are required to come in early before their shift to prep for the day. Fill up ketchup bottles, fill up the salt and pepper shakers, roll napkins, have meetings about how the day is going to go. And what happens is most restaurants, well, not most, but a lot of restaurants will not have employees punch in for this work. Under the law, this is compensable time and it needs to be paid. And we've seen situations where it happens every shift where people are required to show up 30 minutes early, do all of these duties. And then when they're done after the meetings and the rolling of the napkins, then punch in. That blows my mind. <laughs> that blows my mind that people are doing work, side work. If, if based off of what we're we're discussed, as long as if, even if it's more than twenty percent of the work all day, they should be clocked in, making at least seven twenty five an hour if they're doing that work. Yes, but I mean, look, this comes down to business. Okay, so employers want to maximize their profit. Yeah. That doesn't mean they're bad people. But if they can get something for free, especially in the restaurant industry where margins are generally tight, employers take their risks. And, I, you know, look, I'm going to age myself. I'm 43. But, you know, if you remember, there was a car called the Pinto. Yeah. Okay. And the Pinto, when it got hit from behind, exploded. <laughs> and the Ford made the decision that it was cheaper to leave those cars on the road than it was to recall them. So what Ford said was, look, when we get hit or one of these cars explodes, it's cheaper for us just to pay the damage when it's done than have to bring all these cars back. And this is the mentality of business owners and restaurateurs sometimes. Look, I know I'm not doing it right, but let me maximize this as long as I can. And if I get hit, then I'll pay at that time. And it'll probably be cheaper than doing it the right way. Which is probably not the case based off of all we've learned today with the times two and all that stuff. A hundred percent. Yeah. Oh man. Um, not even including the attorney fees and stuff like that too. So yeah, it's not worth waiting for the cars to explode is basically the moral of the story. Exactly right. <laughs> um, so, you know, this happens on the back end too. So, you know, people come in before those shifts and they're not getting paid for it. And then at the end of the night, they're required to clock out and either have meetings or, you know, clean up, make sure the dishes are done, make sure the garbage is taken out. And this happens frequently and it's off the clock work. So if you just do the simple math, so let's just assume I, I ask you to come in 15 minutes early for five shifts a week and make you stay 15 minutes late for five shifts a week. That's 30 minutes a day. That's two and a half hours of overtime owed per week. Mm. Multiply that times 100 employees per week and the math starts to add up very yeah. quickly. Yep. So is there a circumstance where you do not have to pay your people for coming in? Like say, for example, a holiday party it would be like one example I can think of. Well, so for example, right. If it's, if it's purely not work related, you know, if you guys are going out for beers and the chef is like, you know, let me take everybody out. Obviously that's not compensable, but of course lawyers are going to lawyer. And you know, you, you can see an argument being made that I felt I was obligated to go with my boss. So I should be compensated for that time. This is the world we now live in. What about uh, like extra or like like educational like field trips or something where you're going to a farm to like learn about the product or, or service that you're you're using in your restaurant? Would that be an example of where you need to get pay your employees? Yeah, to me that's compensable time, and the yeah. reason why is I mean, who's it benefiting at the end of the day? Right, so the, it's, yeah, it's the, benefiting the owner, the restaurant. What if you are very clear about making it uh, not mandatory? Like this is optional. Uh, you can come. We're going to do this. You're welcome to come with us if you want. We're going to educate ourselves. 
Ah, uh, the old, it's not mandatory, wink, wink, but it really is scenario. I love it. <laughs> um, you know, so again, it comes down to an interpretation of facts. So on the face of your example, yeah, I would say if it's not mandatory, uh, you know, obviously that's fine. But the employees are, that are, you know, uh, that want to sue are ultimately going to argue that, yeah, they told us it wasn't mandatory, but the guys who went got better assignments. Mm. or got better shift schedules, you know? So it, there's, there's again, going back to that expression, I love that gray. You can see where the, where the lawyers play in these areas, man. Oh, that's frustrating. It's because my gut, like if I were to say, arrange a field trip to a farm to go learn about uh, the, the way that the, the product is being handled would be educational. And I would welcome my employees to come with me on this trip. And, you know, I'm, if, if there are people that are showing that extra effort to learn, to educate themselves, I would be probably in, I would be likely to favor that person and give them better shifts because they're putting the effort in. Uh, but yeah. I guess based off of what you're saying is I wouldn't be able to do that though, because I'm not paying them. Well, look, I, I want to say this. So my job is to scare the living hell out of anybody <laughs> who's listening, who owns a restaurant, right? Because I'd rather you be aware and cognizant of potential liabilities than, you know, give you the kumbaya and, you know, we don't live in a society that's litigious and where people want to sue. The reality of the situation is I like to refer to myself as the common sense lawyer. Okay. So, you know, every situation needs to be read. There has to be some humanity in our interactions in the workplace. There has to be some give and take. Because, you know, if we get to the point, and, and believe me, remember, I'm the guy who wants to sue your restaurants. Because that's what I do for a living. But if we get to the point where every single employee is gunning for everything you've worked so hard for, you know, what, what's the point, man? <laughs> you know, go do something else. Yeah. Um, so, again, you know, my examples, I'm bringing everything to the extreme for you guys. But you know your employees. You understand your business operations better than I do. So I, I think it's just, you have to exercise common sense and you have to know who the folks are that you're dealing with. Got it. So I'm curious uh, if, what would we do to protect ourselves uh, to make it, I guess, black and white, whether or not you have to be here or you don't have to be here for this extracurricular type of event. Is there anything we can put in writing, anything we can do to basically make it so nobody can raise the flag on us? Uh, that we should know about? Well, I, well and the, so the answer is yes and no. The, the truth of the matter is anybody can sue you for anything. It doesn't mean they're going to win, right? So what we talk about is best practices and putting yourself in the best situation to protect yourself. So, you know, again, taking it to the extreme, if, if you feel that it's a situation that may wind up, you know, with problem employees, I put a memo out or an email, or, you know, or however you're communicating with your employees to say, look, Here's this trip. It's completely voluntary. If you don't come on the trip, you will not be retaliated against, you know, that sort of language. Okay. And, you know, it stinks. Put it in an email so there's, like, something there, like, so you can say, look, like, make sure it's in writing, right? A hundred percent. And, look, you know, I feel bad a lot of the times for these restaurateurs. They got in business because they love to, you know, make food that people love. And, you know, this is their baby. But, as a business owner, as you know, you're going to spend 50% or more of your time being a business owner and not doing the things you're passionate about. Yeah. Awesome. Well, this has been a really great conversation. I would love to have you back and, and uh, 
mean, I feel like there's so many opportunities for us to, to chat and for you to, to educate myself and my listeners. Um, before we say goodbye, is there anything else you didn't get a chance to, to mention that you were, were going to mention before? You know, I don't, I don't want to cut you off too soon. No, not, not at all. Look, I think there's so many things in the restaurant industry that, you know, especially what's going on now with the, with the allegations of harassment, sexual harassment, we could spend a whole separate topic on things I've seen and, and addressed in the restaurant industry. So um, for, <laughs> I'm afraid to have that conversation, for, honestly, because I might get a little yeah. heated. <laughs> it's, and listen, if I, if I told you some of this, I, and I'm happy to share them on air without, you know, on the podcast without mentioning names or restaurants, you'd be amazed at some of the things that go on that I've seen. Oh man. It's, I mean, uh, another day because we're already yeah. at 33 minutes and we'll go another hour. Sure. If that happens. Um, this was, this was a lot of fun. So if, if people want to, uh, follow your work or maybe, uh, call you for consultation, what's the best way to connect? Sure. And I, I appreciate the opportunity. Um, look, our website is www.floridaovertimelawyer.com. If you have questions, we try to be very informative on the website. We're just not trying to grab clients. Uh, or you can email me at richard at floridaovertimelawyer.com. I'm always happy to, to, to lend a helping hand. If you've got a quick question, you know, look, not every question has got to be a, a billable event. So I'm happy to help when I can. Awesome. And uh, I like to wrap up every episode by calling, having my guest call somebody out that they admire and have admiration for, or just think that there's, you know, doing it right in the industry. So can you think of anybody in the industry that you respect and admire and think would be a great guest mentor to share their story and, and advice as a guest on the show? Yeah, I mean, I, I'll tell you, I think, it, you know, in going back through, through your archives, you've already hit him. There's a guy named Tim Boyd. Uh, he and his wife own the mustard seed uh, here <laughs> yeah. in Florida. I, I mean, these guys are rock stars. And I, I go to their restaurant all the time. I love their food. And you have to try Lara's Cupcakes if you haven't. Lara's Cupcakes? Yeah, his wife is named Lara. And she makes cupcakes that should be on Cupcake Wars. Okay. People come from all over the place to get them. Awesome. You know, I had Tim on the show. He was great, but I was thinking it would be kind of cool to get uh, Lara on the show too, because there's, it's cool to get both sides of the story for sure. Um, awesome. This was a lot of fun, man. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us today to share your knowledge with us. We are absolutely just a little bit more unstoppable after listening to you and uh, just, yeah, I guess that's it. Thanks, man. I appreciate the opportunity. And look, if you ever want to do it again, I'm around. Awesome. I'll be reaching out for sure. Have a nice one, dude. There's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation. I mean, I, I learned a ton today. Uh, I'm not going to lie. And I don't pretend to have all the answers. I started this podcast four years ago uh, with one intention, and that was to learn from those who were proven successful and to take you guys on that journey with me. And I'm always learning new things. And like these areas, uh, uh, the the details, the the you know, specific things we need to do in our restaurant day to day to protect ourselves. I'll be frank. Uh, this is my area of weakness. Uh, and I want to start getting more uh, people like Richard Seller on the show to teach me. And hopefully while teaching me, teach you guys. And that's always been the mission of this podcast is, is to learn from those who are proven successful uh, and to take you guys along that journey with me and hopefully uh, provide a platform where we can share this knowledge. And um, if, if you guys found value in today's conversation uh, and you want more content like this, let me know because you heard Richard say like, Hey, I, I want to come back. If you guys ever have any questions, like I'm here for you. So write me Eric at restaurant or find me on social media slash restaurant unstoppable on Facebook and Eric Cacciatore on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, let me know. 
what topics you're concerned about, what topics you feel like you need more information, we'll learn together. Uh, you guys, I mean, you're my biggest asset. By telling me what your challenges are, I'm sure you're not alone. I'm sure someone else out there is struggling with the same uh, information or not having that information. So share it with me so we can all learn and uh, you know lift this industry up and you know all ships rise to that tide. So uh, don't be shy. Please do reach out to me. And we're going to be getting a lot of experts on the show in like the next couple of weeks because it's the holiday season with New Year and everything. I, I know how busy successful restaurateurs are this time of year, so I want to stay away from them. I don't want to piss anybody off. I want to respect that you guys are out straight. So uh, to supplement my content, you're going to see me getting a couple experts like Richard on the show and uh, some repeat guests. Uh, you're going to see Kate Edwards. She was on the show not too long ago. She wrote the book Hello and Every Other Little Thing That Matters. Might have butchered that title a little bit. Uh, and I also have Anise Kavanaugh coming on the show who wrote Contagious Culture. Uh, and I think maybe we got Richard. I just mentioned Richard. Uh, we might get a few more unique guests on the show. Uh, but yeah, don't... If, if you start wondering where the, the storytelling is going, where you know why I'm not profiling more restaurateurs, it's because we got to give these folks a break. Uh, January is going to be a great month. I'm going to be headed out to Pittsburgh, uh, and I got to give a quick shout out to my boy Roddy Gibbs for setting up, or you know, at least nothing's been set up yet. But there's definitely he's putting some great people on my radar, and uh, he's been so supportive. He's giving me a you know a floor to crash on, or maybe a couch. Who knows? I'll be happy with the floor. Uh, but headed out to Pittsburgh, uh, we're going to be doing a lot of on-site recording. It's just going to be me living out of my car, traveling around, uh, maybe Richmond next. So uh, who knows what the future holds? I'm going to try to keep uh, my liabilities low so I can be very reactive and just go to where the opportunities are. And uh, if you guys can think of somebody I should be getting on the show in Pittsburgh or in Richmond, uh, you know how to connect with me, Eric at restaurantunstoppable.com. Um, you know, I, I need you guys to make this work the way I want it to work. And that is just by putting it out there and you guys telling me who you want on the show and what topics you want covered. I'm here to serve you. I'm here to work for you. I will go to work for you, but you got to let me know what, what you're struggling with, where, where your areas of interest are. And I will put content out there for you. Um, like always, I got to remind you guys, uh, Keep those five-star reviews on iTunes and Stitcher Radio coming. They help so much with validating my hard work and getting ranked, uh, which helps just increase the downloads, which helps me put food on my table. And I do accept donations. So if you got it and you're giving it, I'm taking it because, like I said, every little bit helps. And uh, the best way to support this show, guys, is simply by sharing it. If you know somebody who's aspiring to do great things in this industry, give them the gift of the show this holiday season because if you are the average of the five people you spend most of your time with, and with this podcast, you can choose to allow yourself to be influenced by the most incredible, successful minds out there. Uh, you owe it to yourself to listen, and you should probably just pay it forward and share this resource with, like I said, anybody aspiring to be great. And with that said, uh, thank you guys all so much for sticking around this much. I wouldn't be able to do it without you. I love you all. And until next time, peace out.